As our understanding of neurodiversity continues to evolve, it's become increasingly clear that our education system needs to adapt to meet the needs of all learners. In today's episode, we'll be discussing how parents can help encourage their children's schools to become more inclusive, as well as practical strategies that educators can use to support neurodiverse learners. So whether you're a parent, an educator, or just interested in learning more about neurodiversity, this episode is not to be missed. Our guest today is Dr. Evisha Ford. She's the founder founding executive director of the I Can Dream Center. It's a therapeutic school that serves neurodiverse learners and their families. She began her career serving inner city homeless youth in Chicago, and she specializes in trauma compassionate leadership. During her career, she's been an assistant superintendent, a director of special education, and an assistant professor of educational leadership. And she's the author of the book, Benches in the Bathroom, Leading a Physically, Emotionally, and Socially Safe School Culture. Dr. Ford, welcome to the Water Prairie Chronicles. Thank you so much for having me, Tonya. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to to hearing more about what you're doing. But first, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? That was your formal bio, but but who are you really? Great. So, uh, Tonya, I spent a lot of time here at the I Can Dream Center, and I absolutely love it. I do actually manage to get a little bit of free time. And in my spare time, I am actually a bodybuilder, and I enjoy reading lots of books, and I enjoy writing. And I also spend quite a bit of time with my little boys, my uh oldest child is the a daily reminder for me that God answers prayers because he said, Mom, I know you prayed for two little boys, but two little boys are very annoying. You should have asked for a girl and a boy. So That is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So this season, we've been playing a little icebreaker game with all of our guests called Two Truths and a Lie. And those that are listening and watching, if you haven't heard one of our episodes before, we challenge our guests to bring in three facts about themselves with one of them being a lie. And then we'll post that on Instagram and Twitter for you to go and play along with us and see if you can guess which ones are true and which one's the lie. So I've asked (laughs) Avisha if she would prepare three facts. Are you ready to share those with us? Yes, I am. So my first one is that I am the mom of two children under five years old that I am a scuba diver, and that I've visited seven of eight continents. All right, so if you're listening, um, go or watching on on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, in the comments, leave your guess, or you can go to Instagram or Twitter and leave your guess on the post that we'll put there. And a week after we post this, then we'll come back and we'll add the answer so you can check to see if you have it right or not. So we'll see um, if anyone gets it. And if you've been trying to guess on the others, Um, Make a note on how many that you've guessed correctly so far. I'm curious to see how many you're starting to guess on this. Today, we're going to be talking about neurodiverse learners. Can you tell me how you became interested in working with that group? Absolutely. I began working after I finished working with homeless youth. I was recruited by Chicago Public Schools because the work I was doing was really building capacities for agencies, and I did quite a bit of professional development. So I was recruited by Chicago Public Schools, and at the time, I was leading what is a pilot program, which has now been a program that was accepted by the governor for all of the state called Preschool for All. And so, in working with um, daycares and early childhood centers across the city, I really began to understand the disparity in services for um, children who had disabilities, who are sub-threshold for disabilities. And so, 
I was working to build the capacity of those early learning center teams, um, but I also spent quite a bit of time working with parents. And so I began to see that, wow, there's really a difference in the services that kids receive depending on where they live at. And I really began to think that if we can capture kids while they're young and early and front load the supports and resources that we're gonna have, they're gonna have a much better trajectory. Fast forward, um, I was enjoying and loving the work I was doing. I thought I would do that forever. And I went back to school for a leadership, um, in a, an inter-leadership program. Um, after I, afterwards, I interviewed for some different roles and landed in a high school district, which is something we do in Illinois. I landed in a high school district and I began to see the needs of parents uh, for high schoolers in post-secondary in a different way than I had before. I began to understand um, how many of the parents were sort of uh, afraid and afraid to hope and nervous about what would happen for their child um, after they aged out of services. And so that really um, lit a fire for me in terms of making sure that there are resources available. So in leadership, I sort of cut my teeth at a really pivotal time in the school district because the state was in saying, hey, your district has to offer more inclusive programming for children. and that was uh, exciting, it was nerve-wracking, and it was a lot of pressure to build some programs really quickly. Um, and of course, they were to the benefit of our students. So the district quickly built a uh, transition program, post-secondary program for our students that was housed inside of the community college. I bit, built programs in each of our high schools or refined one and built others based on the new model for students who had some behavior, who needed behavioral support we had a functional program that we brought back into our high school um, for students who weren't necessarily going to earn a high school diploma, but who could still benefit from being in a typical uh, high school setting. And so um, I really enjoyed and thrived off doing that work and, um, and really building these programs. And the parents were so excited about it. And the students just did marvelously. So, so I, you're mentioning, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you here. So you're mentioning the the extended program with the high school. Were they going beyond age 22 in those programs? No, no, they were 18 okay. to 22. Yeah. Okay, so it was it was that that end of the age there, mm -hmm. and then the community college would be able to take over from there. Yeah, for the student. Okay, okay, because it's because it, it's a big it's a big gap there because we get our kids they're not always quite ready at 22, but then they kind of go into nowhere. Um, so I, I really like, like like that idea. Is that is that program going now? It's still going. I think that was 10 years ago that we launched that program. And ironically enough, um, I founded a school, the Ica Dream Center, which you mentioned, and it's also a transition program. Um, I don't have the confines of the public school, so of course the Ica Dream Center is that program on steroids. And, right. um, and we also have a, a high school program, right, to meet the needs of, of students. And so our goal here at the Icon Dream Center is to take students who, um, we have a special niche that we work with students who can be competitively employed with a little bit of support. So our, our high schoolers who have had struggles in the public high school system or who've been through various other therapeutic settings come to us and we get them finished up high school with dignity and we also place them in vocational opportunities so that they can um, work meaningfully once they exit services. The same thing with our transition students. 
um, we have a very strong vocational component and we place students and so the overwhelming majority of our students who exit are actually placed in a job. We've removed their transportation barriers and got them connected with transportation right. services. We're really fortunate in Illinois. Our students get basically free transportation if they qualify. So we get them connected with that and we get them placed in jobs where they can really start to, you know, live lives that are aligned with what they feel are their purposes and their own unique abilities. You're mentioning your past experiences that led up to where you are now, but how did you start specializing in neurodiversity? Oh, I, I began just because of my first leadership, because my first role in schools. I mean, I'm a, I'm a trained school social worker. So the time that I worked in schools was already with students who had were either sub-threshold or had IEPs. And so that's okay. really where I just started in schools. Um, when I first finished graduate school, like I said, I work with inner city homeless youth, kids exiting the sex trade, those who were really left homeless after we after a big gentrification project. And so um, when I went over to the school system, it was my first group of students that I worked with were those who had disabilities or sub-threshold. Okay. So, so you're not talking about students who have physical disabilities. You're looking at just the neuro, neurodiverse group. I do have some students who have physical disabilities, and they're also neurodiverse. So, right. Well, yeah, because you can um, have cry, right? Yes, yeah. So we have two or three students of the 100 that we serve that do have physical disabilities, but it's not their primary necessarily, and there are other okay. things occurring where they would need our support to be successful. Right. Okay, okay. Um, and so it's I, – I know I'm deviating from what I sent you – um, okay. I, which I had a feeling we, that, that, that we might, because it's just, it's, just, it's just so interesting, and I want to know more about it. Um, so in North Carolina, I don't know if every state has this or not, but we have vocational rehabilitation here that will work with students starting at age 14 and help them get through school and to, to that employment stage. So how are you differing from what they're doing? So vocational rehabilitation, some of our students actually get dual services. So some of our students okay. who have been enrolled – with a voc rehab coach or counselor, they will check up on them. Um, so there's not that much of a difference except for we're a whole program. Um, we're a school that right. really wraps the students in all kinds of services. So they have the benefit of our coaching from our vocational specialist while they're on the job. They can change jobs based on their changing interests. And if they're growing in some new some skill sets, we help our students to get driver's licenses. Unfortunately, if they're, if they're able. Unfortunately, most of the high schools that they come from don't even enroll them in, in driver's ed, right. which is a misstep, really. And so we've helped students to secure um, driving permits and driver's licenses. We have recreational program because, let's face it, the students that we serve aren't necessarily getting so many social invites on the weekend. And if we're working right. this hard on social skills, we want to give them the space to actually try it on and to be young adults. So our program offers so much more than just vocational services. We offer yeah, it sounds all like kinds of life skills. We have an amazing culinary program. In fact, our school's authored a cookbook called uh, Spice and Spectrum. And um, we partner with celebrity chef Jerome Brown, and our students and families put together a fabulous cookbook. Um, and so we really have a lot of special projects. The other thing that makes us very different is that we're not just serving the student, we're serving the family. That's one of the things I love about early childhood, especially in Illinois, the zero to three. You don't write a plan for the, the baby or the child. You write a plan right. for the family. And so right. essentially, we're actually doing that same thing here. We look at when a student enrolls here at Ike and Dream Center, we call them right away and say, hey, 
let us get to know your family. Who are you? How can we help you? How can we serve you? And our social workers already directing families to um, services that they might need. They get a parent coaching session, and we have monthly um, parent retreats. And so our parents come, and we have a really great time talking about some of the hard stuff that maybe parents with neurotypical kids might not quite understand. The grief, the frustration, the joys, yes. the celebrations about things that may look different. Um, we really acknowledge that most of our students don't stand up with um, tassels because they've been in honor societies, yet they've overcome so much that is oh, yeah. deserving of celebration. Yeah. And so um, this is the space we've created for our parents. And, um, and we really find that the space is really, Ike and Dream Center is about the whole family flourishing. And um, our students are also doing incredibly well in work settings as a result right. that was that was that was a great answer because it, it you you definitely are not the same as as voc, voc rehab would be but i could see how they would partner with you and be able to help add add extra support with that mm -hmm. um but yes because our, our experience has been you know they're, they're there for certain certain stages going through but um but it sounds like what you're doing is wonderful. I mean, I, I'm thinking around the around the the the, the country as people are listening to this, they're, they're saying, I, I, "I want that in my state." Yeah, you know, it's really it's great. And I, in Illinois, obviously the school districts pay tuition for the students to come to us, and they cover what's bell to bell. So um, during the school day, the district tuition covers the services, the teachers, the related service providers. Um, but I think what makes Ica Dream Center so special is what happens outside the school day. Our students decided that one of our interns decided was the voice advocated for our students who wanted to do an, a big overnight sleepover, a lock-in. So we did that last weekend. And so oh, wow. that's not something that, you know, with the bureaucracy of a school system, you can just turn on a dime and do that. Um, our One of my um, leadership team members was at the last parent retreat. She said, you know what? Some of the moms really expressed something, some some struggles. Can we put together a mom's morning for yoga and tea and just some restorative space? And so I said, sure. The minute we put that fire out, I mean, our phones are ringing off the hook. We're supposed to come <laughs> sign up for it. And so to me, those are the things we have to fundraise for, right? So we're a nonprofit. We do a lot of fundraising. But those are the things that make Icon Dream Center so special is that we see the child and we also want to service and, and be a benefit to the entire family as well. Right. I, 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 lo I love what I'm hearing on this, too. I mean, just, just even talking about the moms, um, one of my past interviews, we were just talking about that, that, you know, moms, moms need that support. They, they don't get it, and it's hard to care for themselves so that they can be there for that child. But, um, but they sacrifice, our, our special needs moms especially, they sacrifice so much to they try to just provide for that child all the pieces that they need it's not just getting their shoes on their feet but um you know the emotional side trying to help them as you say with the social interactions that they may or may not be having but getting them ready for those um trying to help them get get prepared for their first job interview and for for what to expect when they're at work so Absolutely. um so I, I i i love love that you're 
that that you're thinking outside the box that you're you're bringing this in um i wish i could also take all the credit for that tonia the truth is we've added programs over the year we've expanded programmat programmatically and the number of students that we serve and the way that we serve them this march was 10 years for us and so we've oh, grown wow. in some way every year a lot of the changes we've made have come directly from the parents. And so I really try to keep my finger on the pulse of what they're asking for, what they're saying that they need. And, um, and we've really added programs accordingly. Our culinary program came out of a parents, a parent telling us, hey, we want our student, my, I want my daughter to be able to read, um, to read, I'm sorry, to cook. And then another parent during a tour that we were taking, uh, this young lady was selectively mute. And um, we had already introduced our culinary program at that point. It was probably once a, once a month as a science tie-in. Oh, and yeah. um, we were on a tour. And this father was with his daughter who was selectively mute. And what he showed us was a video of her actually speaking while she was cooking. She was a gifted uh, meal preparer, holiday meals. I mean, what she was doing was amazing. Wow. And, um, but that was the time when you could actually hear her voice. And at that point, I realized culinary arts is not just fun. It's not just science. It's an opportunity to lay, to lay, to level the playing field for a lot of our students to really be creative. And so some years we've asked them to bring in their family, fa favorite family recipe. Talk about a bonding connecting moment, right? Oh, yeah. This is, this is what this means to my family. We have one student who stands out specifically, her parents own a restaurant, but she's Greek. And so she would present these amazing recipes that were from her family and we would just have so much fun preparing them and eating them and so, right. Um, right. <laughs> so these are the kind of programs that we've been able to build um, in response to the parents saying hey I'm interested in this right right great in a few of my interviews I've talked to parents with children with different types of disabilities and what I'm finding coming through is there's a lot of times there's myths and misconceptions about those types of situations, particularly from families or from individuals who have no connection. They, they don't understand it really. Can you share with us some of the common misconceptions about neurodiversity and how we can challenge those stereotypes? This is interesting because my favorite thing that I like to tell people is that if you've met one individual with a disability, you've only met one right but there i think the most common misperception that i run into is that this is how i understand autism or this is how i understand somebody with an intellectual disability or developmental delay and like people and i get it we all create um categories to manage our own mental chaos right so this is sort of right. normal but i think that um trying to encourage people to be open-minded and to still account for that person's uniqueness, right? Like we're still all very unique individuals. And so there may be these group of behaviors or communication um, bits that may be typical, but maybe not, right? So really right. just understanding that each of us is, is still unique, so. Okay, good. Um, so, we're looking at talking about um, the environment for school for neuro neurodiverse students. That was the topic that we're that we're looking at mainly today. So, as we're thinking of that topic, what are some practical steps that educators can take to create a more inclusive environment for those learners? Yeah, that's um, that's a big question, Tony. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I, I think the the short the short 
version is to think about all the accommodations that can be put in place um, to keep them in a, the least restrictive environment. I think sometimes we sort of skip over things. I see that a lot in districts that will call us and say, hey, we want to place a student. And what we've done in about a half dozen instances I can think of this year is that my BCBA will go, one of us will go and say, you know what, that kid can thrive in the classroom where they are, and if you'll let us work with you, we can help you keep them there, right? Sometimes the districts don't have the resources, and, and we really don't have time to spare our BCBA, but we will make the sacrifice because we know with just a little bit of support that they can really be successful in the environment. And so sometimes they haven't thought of certain resources or like, you know, hey, if you get this child used to a visual schedule and you hold, hold strict to this if-then board, you might get a lot more traction than you had even imagined, right? So sometimes it's simple things. Um, I was part of when I moved to my last school district, remember I told you that the state was really on us about our inclusivity practices right. or what they call educational environment. And so one of the things I was charged to do was to create co-teaching opportunities across high schools, across um, high school disciplines so that our students could access the class but still receive the special ed um, instruction. That was really interesting. <laughs> I learned a lot about the nature of people and um, I really got an, a whole nother psychology degree um, at, at that point, <laughs> at that time. But I do think, you know, we're practical and feasible really thinking about a co-teaching scenario. Our students benefited a lot from the ones who were in high school and able to really be in, a, be in an environment with their peers and really glean from um, a more typical experience. I remember one of my children um, in the, at the middle school level, we were told that he would not be able to advance to the class academically that he needed to and still get help, that he, he, could, he couldn't be in that top class and still have resource help. And it wasn't an acceptable answer for us, but that's, that's how the school was presenting it, that, it's, um, that if, you, if you need help, that there's no way that you could actually master the material to be in that top class and we found a way around it but it was a lot of work on our end to get there too um, so I wonder how many parents are fighting that type of situation and having to trade off do I let go of the resources so that my child can get that academic stimulation that they need or but then can they survive in that situation if they don't have the you know they're they're working toward guilt uh, toward skills with their IEP that need to that need the resource side of it to build those skills. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that they can't access the academic side of it. They just need to to get it all together. And we and we noticed a few years later that he was still missing some of those skills because we had gone the way that we had. It's tough. And actually the reason that the Icon Gym Center came to be is because um, when I worked in the high school district we had an alternative program and it was for students who um, we're struggling in a variety of ways. And so our students who had IEPs were going into the program and they were failing. And so the district was actually having parents to waive their IEP rights to enter into that program. So you know what was happening. The kids yeah. were failing miserably. So I'd actually gone to the superintendent and said, hey, I think we need to build a program for students who have the same sort of maybe emotional, behavioral, anxiety uh, difficulties that our, our gen ed students do, but they cannot thrive in this program without some extra sports. 
And for various reasons, he said no, and the time wasn't right. And so that was actually the blueprint that I used to build the Icon Dream Center. I said, no, a place needs to exist for these students. And my guess was that my hunch was that if that was the case in our 6,500 school, high school district, that many of the surrounding school districts were having the same um, issue with a lack of a program for those students. And so we as soon as we opened the doors and said hey we're, we're here for the student for this is our profile of student um, we were flooded really oh i'm flooded. sure i'm sure yeah. that's you know we, we have so, so many kids that that get caught just in the flow and 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 they're left behind because of that and um and i never like to hear about a student that that isn't reaching where they could be they you mm -hmm. know everyone has the right to strive for their best and um and some of them we need to help them get there but they need they need a few a few people advocating on their behalf to to get them there and so in your case instead of being frustrated the fact they said no you went out and and started your own program oh, <laughs> which I was maybe it was <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure it came out of frustration but but look at what pissed, it led actually. to because <laughs> i thought but, here's a list of 40 students who could benefit from this program tomorrow but right. that, did, that did translate into something that was beneficial. Right. So without that <laughs> painful time of life for you, yeah. you wouldn't have the center today. So That's true. That's true. That's very true. So my, my glass is always half full. Okay. Yes. <laughs> no, it's exactly right. No, I just, I wanted to be clear. I was outraged by this. But. Yeah. So you aren't just rolling over and saying, okay, I'll just go and do this. No. Yeah. So talking about the educators that we're looking at with providing the environments, your book, does it provide information that would help those educators? It does. And, and one of the things we talked about was creating inclusive environments, sort of in schools or inclusive environments for uh, students. And my thought process and what I always like to lift up is that all of our young people who are children <laughs> with disabilities will matriculate into adults with disabilities, right? right. And so um, a lot of what I have done in the book is to talk about how do we create an environment that really recognizes each person's humanity. And a lot of what I've written about this idea of compassionate uh, trauma compassionate leadership and and the reason is not trauma informed because informed is just head knowledge compassion is action so how do i um, put in action what i know about the human experience and create an environment that allows the adults to thrive at their best so that they can then show up for the students um, because this is the environment that we have at the i can dream center 25 percent of my workforce 27 percent do identify as neurodiverse and so we've created an environment where we say, hey, yes, bring your whole self to work, no matter what you look like, what your first language is, the way you choose to worship, or your, your style of interacting with the world. You're invited here as long as you can love our students and be a positive presence for them, right? So um, a lot of what I talk about is really to help school leaders to create an environment where teachers can thrive and they can innovate. So it really is about um, helping educators to create the space um, with the students in mind, of course, but support, be showing up as a support for our teachers and direct service practitioners. So making it a safe space for the students and for the, the professionals working with them. Absolutely. We're also hoping to, you know, as we place our students in the community, 
Um, we talk about inclusivity. And the reality is that my school, I Can Dream Center, is a therapeutic school. So by nature, it's exclusive, right? So it takes you out of the public school. However, um, we work with young adults, 18 and 22, and we're getting them out into the real, the real world, into working environments. So there's two things happening. Our students are getting real experience. They're trying on the skills that we're teaching them. They're getting paid a wage so that they understand this, this idea of working and earning a wage. But we're also creating more desensitization to having folks with disabilities working in small businesses. And my goal, my heart's goal, is really to see a world where um, the largest number of underemployed and unemployed folks are not people with disabilities because there's opportunities. What I've seen a lot in public schools is that um, out of a need to sort of manage large groups of students is that students who are at transition programs in schools are often working in the cafeteria, cleaning vans, or doing some maintenance jobs. And to be clear, I do believe there's inherent dignity in all of those jobs. But I don't think that just because a person has a disability that that's where they should be steered, steered toward, right? right? And so um, we really look at what is the student's acuity, interest, um, how do they think about things, and we place them in jobs. So they, we have pet rooms, we have comic book stores, we have restaurants, we have a hospice, whole hospitality program, so convention centers, hotels. These are things our students have expressed interest in, and it's not just the, lunch, the school lunch cafeteria. <laughs> like there right, are other right. options. And so <laughs> while we are, you know, uh, a program that's, you know, ec where students are excluded from the school system, they're actually included in the in the in the world in a very real, right. natural way. Do you have any trouble in finding partnerships with businesses to be willing to to bring your students in? You know, in our last, so this is our third location, um, March, I think I said we celebrated 10 years. Yeah. And so this is our third location, um, and it's been really great to be in this new um, space and to have space because we were really on top of each other before. And so, um, you know, in our, we had partners in the last community we were in, probably about 30 partners. When we came to this new space, it was in the middle of the pandemic, and so they were very reluctant in this. It took a lot of, in fact, I hired an entire person to go, who's sort of a, a salesperson at heart, to go to local businesses and say, hey, you, there's, a, there's a nationwide staffing shortage, shortage going on. We're going to send students, we're going to pay them, and we're going to make sure that they do really well while they're here. And so folks started to sort of open up a little bit. Um, but it took some time. We actually have really amazing partners at this time um, that we support, and we also use them for different events that we have. We patronize them. We have a florist. Whenever we have something, we buy flowers there and have our students to do the arranging. So right. we build not just a one-dimensional partnership with our community partners, but we want to support them as they're supporting our students. Um, but it has it has to it did take a little bit of time to get some. Finally, we got some traction. Finally, we got some traction. And um, it's been good. It's been good. Have you had any of your students go on to work in those locations after they finish school? Uh, the majority do. Yeah. So at the end of their, when they're about, when they're coming to the end of their um, service, of exiting services, we will ask the person that they're employed with if they have a space in their budget to actually hire. In most instances, they've seen our student, they work with them, and, and they're really a part of that work family. 
and they're happy to take them. Some of them have actually hired our students on the weekends already. Um, But uh, for those who can't, we place another student there who wants a different work experience, and then we start to find a job, a permanent space for our students just as they exit services. So I think we have about eight or nine students who are exiting, um, actually maybe closer to 10, that are exiting um, this May. Um, And so the overwhelming majority of them are placed already. There's just a couple nice. more. So. Nice. Well, I can see they've 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 bonded together. They've, as you say, they've been able to see that this is a viable employee for me now. They've mm-hmm. helped to train, so they've vested the time already. It's the perfect employee to hire now, because yes. they they haven't lost anything in the process of getting them trained and ready for the job. So Absolutely. why start over again if they if they have an opening? That's right. We have one young woman who works for a comic book store, and she is hilarious because. Anytime given any platform, she will tell us about what's happening at that comic book store, what kind of events they have coming up, what sales they have coming up. And I thought they don't know what a jewel that they have. In she this is sold. She's yeah. a marketing person for them. She loves it, though. She's really into like Comic-Con and Marvel. And she's actually very knowledgeable about the, the items that they're selling. So it was a perfect fit. Right. But, um, yeah, she's asked, can I put up a couple posters here? Sure. So in in the bathroom, you'll find these posters of these upcoming events that her her job has, and she's really right. invested in what they're doing. Yeah. Nice. I, I, I like hearing that. So we've talked a little bit about what the schools can do. What can parents do to encourage their child's school to become more inclusive? Yeah, that's actually a great question, uh, Tonya. And I think that parents have to also become aware of different accommodations and sort of think creatively I think I love watching like the parents boards and people generating ideas together and saying hey I have this you know concern how can we mitigate it or what solutions have you found helpful and sometimes things come up um, that parents haven't thought about before and again what kind of accommodations can we use have we thought about you know, allowing the student to um, load some different app on their phone to be able to uh, record and it transcribes for them. Or perhaps I haven't thought about what it might be like to write in a peer buddy with the student so that they can thrive. So there are all these unique approaches that I feel like um, are happening that we may not necessarily think of inherently, right? And so working together, we can kind of come up with some solutions. I think just thinking a little bit outside the box because sometimes we have an idea of what we want and it may not be exactly that, but it may achieve the same outcome, right? And so I think being open and flexible and really showing up to these IEP meetings and saying, hey, let me be a creative partner in in this process. Unfortunately, parents often feel like outsiders to the IEP meeting and that is unfortunate. Um, So really knowing their role at the meeting I always tell parents that we know typically more about schooling and education, but you know the most about your child. So we're going to lean on that knowledge and and come up with something together. You know, with, um, with, again, with my son, um, we, we, can, can you tell that we had more, um, pushback with, with, with my son? He was a boy. Need need I say anything else? (laughs) Yes. Yes. But, um, but he, as we learned about the narcolepsy diagnosis for him, of course, the odds are he has no teacher that it's ever had experience with it other than what you see on TV. And um, for them, that wasn't an academic challenge. It was just, you know, was he sleeping or awake or not? 
but it goes beyond that because he can look at you, he can write, but he can be totally in REM sleep. And oh, so, wow. um, so what I brought to, to them was, well, one educational material to try to help them understand what it is, but then two, some suggestions of things that might help. And one of them was, you know, if, if, if he's having, if he's struggling, staying awake, can he go get a drink of water and come back? Some some of the classrooms they weren't familiar they they weren't comfortable with that because what if he abuses that you know a lot of, a lot of times it came to what if he this abuses this question it? drives me and it's <laughs> that so, and what about the other students I'm sorry yeah what about the other students yeah um, we came up with um, a separate testing environment which helped because then he could get a drink of water they depending on what the test was the proctor could not speak to him because that would be crossing a line. But, um, but they could set a timer that would go off and he could get up and do some jumping jacks, things like that, just to wake up his brain to, mm. to get back to testing again. So that way, if he did fall asleep, there was a way to, to engage with him without actually talking to him during the test. Um, but we had to, we had to get, get creative to get everyone on board with what he needed. As a, and often the approaches to take with a student are actually going to be beneficial for everyone. So right it's not everyone I, can sit close to the teacher but right <laughs> the right you can be in proximity <laughs> with a lot of students so but but not even that just you know doing some type of movement activity when you have an hour and a half class you know whether it's a quick bathroom break which may not work but everyone can stand up and do some type of physical activity as part of the lesson and then sit back down again you've just you've just waken up everybody's brains at that point but, um, and for him, some of it was, you know, have him give you a verbal response instead of just writing something, just you know, en engage the whole body in the learning. Um, but it's, but I do, I do know it takes time. It, 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 it is hard for, for some to be able to do that. And it takes a certain, a certain personality to be able to embrace those ideas and go with yeah. it. Well, I think it takes a commitment to growing in your craft of pedagogy because once you learn the power of a movement break I mean it's funny because you can see our students walking around the building at any time of the day because the teachers are trained to say okay we all need a movement break and we'll just move or they'll have on some video and they're stretching and moving we start off the week with a yoga class for our students so all of it is oh, really yeah. the thought process that if it's good for one or two it's not going to harm the others right right and so um, I, I think we're really fortunate in Illinois. All, all educators are required to take a class on ADHD. I think it's annually, but it may be every other year. Wow. And so those strategies are sort of front-loaded, just so you can understand what it looks like and feels like. Nice. Nice. We were in the wrong state. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people complain about all these requirements of Illinois. It's really hard to pass the teaching certification test. and. Um, but we do have to do something on suicide prevention, on bullying, on ADHD, on workplace harassment. All these things are compulsory for educators who want to maintain their license. So one of the things we do with our older students is really to get them accustomed to advocating for what they need. And so a student will say, hey, you know, I have ADHD. I really need to move. Can I have a movement break at work, right? Or I need to change things more frequently or I have one student I can remember um, who would say you know what I, I have autism and I don't understand sarcasm very well right and so yeah. these are the kind of things that we want the students to be able to advocate for themselves again you're not always going to be a child where the teacher's going to have to 
recognize your needs, you're going to have to know what's happening in your body and have some level of agency in that. And so that's what we're telling our students a lot. Like in the work environment, get comfortable telling your boss what you need. So, right, right. Yeah. And it's and being able to put it in a matter of fact tone is important mm -hmm. because then mm -hmm. you're not you're not coming in saying, oh, I need this. I need this. You're just saying, you know, this is just a fact. It's, it's no different than me being tired of sitting down. I need to sit up, stand up for a few minutes. Absolutely. You know, at my age now, I can get up and walk to the coffee stand or walk to the to the bathroom or whatever I need to do as the reason that I'm moving. And um, but our students need to be taught how to do this so that they can do it effectively. And as they if they are going to go into community college or they're going to go on to other education, they need to be able to convey that that need. You asked about what parents can do, and I think that's one of the gifts that we can really give to our children whose needs might look slightly different than a typical person is to be able to articulate what it is that they're experiencing and to notice what's happening in their own bodies and speak to it. And I think sometimes as parents, we're sort of afraid of that. We think it may cripple them or that they may feel bad about it, but I think we're equipping them to be successful when we do that. Right. Yeah. They're, you're not putting them in an a selfish environment you're helping them actually be able to thrive and mm -hmm. where they where they need to be and destigmatizing it a little bit right like there's there's no right like you said everybody has different needs for various reasons you know mine might be because of a back injury yours might be cut be just because you need proprioceptive input right so who right. regardless right. of what the need is <laughs> i need to move <laughs> so that's the bottom line so yeah so my uh youngest has ADHD as well, and I was concerned about his reading, and I said, I am not sure, his pre-reading skills, I'm not sure if everything's happening, and so I followed up with his teacher, I said, I'm, this was before he had any formal diagnosis, I said, can you take a look and let me know, like, about his letters, because I felt like he might know, but he was not ever showing it to me, so... I went back for the conference. She said, oh, yeah, he knows every letter and every letter sound. This is Montessori school, so they start with letter sounds first. Okay, right. He knows every letter sound. And I said, oh. And she said, the way I figured out he did is I would just say the letter or point to the letter, and he would say it while he ran around the desk. So she said he ran around this desk about 30 times. We got out all the sounds. <laughs> he knows each of them. And I thought, uh-huh. Well, I'm a special educator, so I already kind of knew what that probably meant. So, right, <laughs> but, right. right. So, <laughs> but I was grateful that she had really taken the time as I asked, can you let me know, like, where the gaps are so I could right. fill up. So. Right. Wow. So, well, I could talk to you forever, but I'm going to cut our question short here. <laughs> but I would like to find out if our listeners have any questions that they'd like to contact you about or if they'd like to find out more about what you're doing there. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Super easy. They can contact me on my website, which is just Dr. Evisha, Dr. D-R-E-V-I-S-H-A dot com, Dr. Evisha dot com. And I'm also found on LinkedIn at the same, with the same handle, Dr. Evisha. And I'm also found on Instagram with the same handle, Dr. Evisha. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll add that to the show notes too. So anyone who's looking, we'll, we'll have the links there for you. I also and, have a Facebook group yeah. that I would love for parents and, and educators to join. It's um, it's called Leading a Socially, Emotionally, and Physically Safe School Culture is the name of it. And it's open to anybody once they, once they can just click on and I'll, I'll, me or one of the admins will accept them. But Facebook page, Leading a Socially, Emotionally, and Physically Safe School Culture, it's a, it's a private Facebook group. 
Okay. We will definitely put that link in the show notes because to try to remember how to type all that together is going to be a little harder. Yeah. What other projects are you working on? Is there anything else you want to let us know about? There's the book that is uh, on Amazon and solutiontree.com and it'll be available. It's available for sale right now, but it'll be open to shipping just after this airs June 3rd. Available for shipping just after this airs June 3rd. And again, it's um, benches in the bathroom, leading a socially, emotionally, and physically safe school culture. And I asked before we started the interview about the title, and I was told that we need to read the first chapter or the, fir- the first paragraph to understand where the title came from. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. All right. <laughs> yes. So we'll put the link to the book in the show notes as well. So you can find, if, if, if you look down, whether you're on the, the webpage, YouTube, or in the audio even, you should be able to get to the links or at least um, follow the link to the, to the webpage. That'll have all the links there too. Great. So, um, Dr. Ford, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate this conversation. I, w- I wish we could continue talking, but I know we have to have to end at some point. Yeah, but thank, thank, you. thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you found our discussion today informative and thought-provoking. As Dr. Ford has shown us, creating an inclusive environment for neurodiverse learners is not only possible, but essential for the success of all students. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, keep creating a more inclusive world for all learners. Hey there, Water Prairie listeners. If you're enjoying this show and want to support us, please consider making a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash waterprairie. Your contribution helps us keep bringing you great content week after week. Thanks for listening and for your support. You've been listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast created to encourage and support parents of special needs children. If you found value in this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners. I'm glad you were able to join us today and hope to see you back next week for another episode of the Water Prairie Chronicles.